0: and welcome to On Demand Worship. So last week we began a brand new series of sermons that we entitled uh, The Living and the Dead, and we asked the really important question, really deep philosophical question, what does it mean to be alive? We said that this is an important question, but it's not a question that folks generally spend a lot of time uh, thinking about. Uh, We noted that the Apostle John, one of Jesus' earliest and closest followers, he kind of thought that to be truly alive is to have Jesus. To have Jesus is to have real life. In fact, he said this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He said, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, remember, Uh, We said, now, as Christians, as church folks, this, this sounds great, but it's possible to know Jesus without having a relationship with him. We can know Jesus without really knowing Jesus. We can know Jesus without ever intending to actually follow his lead. We can have the appearance of life like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, but on the inside, we can be as dead as dead can be, and have a faith that is actually lifeless. We close by asking if there was any hope for those who found themselves wanting to be made alive again, wanting a vibrant faith, one full of passion and purpose. I'm here to tell you today that there is hope for living again. There is hope for having a faith soaked in vitality and vibrance. And that first step, the first step in having this kind of life, the first step in living again is we must first die. If you're thoroughly confused by this, that's perfect. I have you exactly where I want you. So let me ask you, um, do you like salsa? I love salsa. In fact, when I'm on like my keto diet, you know, you're not supposed to have carbs. I'll just take salsa, I'll put it in a bowl, and I'll just eat it with a fork. I love salsa that much. Most of us probably have a restaurant that we'll visit just because we love their salsa. And similarly, we'll have restaurants that we'll avoid because their salsa isn't so great. Now, let me ask you, um, what do you think the most important ingredient in salsa is? Okay, here's, here's the most important ingredient in salsa. If it's not the most important, it's one of the most important. Here it is. Death. No, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being serious. Think about it. Um, you have to take this little seed or this little bulb and you plant it in the ground. You literally dig a hole, you bury it, then you cover it up. And if you're a farmer, you may even say a prayer. Right? Jesus, he said, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat is planted in the ground and dies, it remains a solitary seed. But when it is planted, it produces in death a great harvest. The Apostle Paul said something similar to the Corinthians when he said, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. So here's why this should matter to us as followers of Jesus. Real life begins in death. Remember, we asked the question, could a phony, fake, lifeless faith that's dead, could it be brought back to life? The answer is emphatically yes, but that dead faith has to die. Again, if you're thoroughly confused, if you're not sure where we're going, I'll explain. You see, there are indicators that will tell you whether something is dead or not. All right, bad color, um, a terrible smell, no pulse. These are just a few examples of lifelessness. Okay, if you were, uh, recall, Uh, back when Lazarus died in John chapter 11, the scriptures tell us that Jesus waited for four days before he went and saw his old pal Lazarus. And when he finally arrived, and after everyone had had a good cry, they went down to the place where Lazarus' body had been entombed, and Jesus gets there and he says, Open this thing up. Now, had you been there, had you been hanging out in that crowd, you would have noticed that... um, you know, people who are there to grieve and mourn, they probably started to kind of look back and forth at each other like, what did he just say? I mean, you can sort of imagine people being a little bit hesitant to speak up. I mean, after all, it's Jesus, but, you know, their eyes are saying an awful lot. Well, John chapter 11, verse 39 kind of gives us an indication of, of why they might be a little bit uncomfortable. It says this, Lord... By this time, he stinketh. Okay, you see, there are uh, clear indicators that someone is alive. And when they are dead, you know what to look for. No one was eager to uh, open up that tomb, to roll that stone away, because they knew what to expect. The overwhelming, overpowering stench of decay and death. In the same way that there are indicators that a body is dead... There are also indicators of a dead or dying faith. Paul said this to the Christians in Galatia. He says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins... Like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this kind of life is a dead life. I mean, sure, these people are physically alive, but they don't have real life. Their values are lifeless values. Jesus' little brother James put it like this. He said, "'Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death.'" If we want to have real life, we must put this dead faith to death. It has to go. The pungent thoughts, the putrid behaviors, the rank attitudes— that we allow to survive in our lives are evidence that we're actually probably still dead. Now, to make things even more complicated, note what the author of Proverbs says. He says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. What he's observing here in this text is that sometimes even our good judgment fails. We don't have to necessarily try to plan evil. There are times when you and I, we aim to do right and we simply fail. The word harmatia is a Greek word that captures this idea perfectly. You see, harmatia uh, is a Greek term. It's It's an archery term. It means to literally aim but miss the mark. When this word harmatia is translated into English, we get the word sin. See, our ability to be really good and consistently make right choices is all out of whack. We don't have to try to be bad. It's easy. In fact, it's almost as if it were second nature. So we have to put this dead way of living to death. In Romans chapter 6, Paul uses some familiar language saying, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, i.e., put to death, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? The journey from a dull, decaying, dead faith to a living, vibrant, vivacious one begins in death. We must be willing to call our sinful desires exactly what they are, a toxic poison that's slowly killing us. If we want to live, they, those sinful desires, have to go. There's an old episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that illustrates this perfectly. You see, in this episode, an awful person named Lana is sentenced to life in prison for murdering her husband. When she gets to prison, she befriends the prison's caretaker, an elderly, nearsighted man named Doc. Doc's uh, job at the prison, he tells her, is to help the sick folks on the ward and bury the ones that pass on, those without any family, that is. Now, Alfred Hitchcock was a master at creating unease and anxiety and suspense. And so an eerie feature of the prison in this episode is that any time someone dies at the prison, a bell would ring out and it would chime five times. So after a couple um, months in this particular prison Lana tries to escape, and there's no luck escaping. She's beat up a few times by Shirley, who is the meanest uh, female inmate in the prison, Um, and then she's put in solitary confinement. And while she's in solitary confinement, she devises the perfect plan to escape. She convinces Doc to sneak her out of the prison, hidden in a casket along with its dead body. The plan is that Lana will have just enough air for Doc to go ahead and bury her and then come back a few hours later to dig her up. He says, I'll get you a key. When you hear the death bell come into the coffin room, the dead body will already be in the casket. Climb in, shut the lid, and I'll get you out. So a few nights later, the bell rings out and indicates that someone has died there in the prison. The five chimes ring throughout this creepy, old, eerie prison, and Lana begins to sneak out of her cell and make her way to the coffin room. There she fumbles around in the dark until she finally finds the casket. She climbs in with the dead body, and, and then she waits. The next scene begins high above this old, run-down cemetery, And the camera slowly zooms down onto this rickety wooden casket as it's being lowered into the grave. As the camera inches closer and closer and closer, we see a shovel full of dirt scatter across the lid of the casket. Then another, then another, then another. In an instant, we glimpse Lana inside the casket, listening to the dirt thud on the lid of the casket. A devilish grin spreads wide across her face. Now all she has to do is wait. And so that's what she does. She waits and she waits and she waits. For what probably seems like an eternity to her, she waits until at some point she just says, you know, I'm I'm bored out of my mind, you know, and she starts to get curious about who she's been buried with. And so she pulls a match out of her pocket, and she strikes it. And in pure Hitchcock fashion, we see that Lana has actually been buried with Doc, the very man who's supposed to dig her up. Instead of recognizing that she was a prisoner because of her lifestyle and changing the way she lived, Lana devised a plan in which she pretended to be dead. The problem with this is that Pretending to be dead will never result in real life. It will never result in actually living again. Our dead way of living has to be put to death or it will eventually kill us. If you try to hang on to your life, Jesus says, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Can the dead live? Again, that's the question we're wrestling with. And the answer is yes. Emphatically, it's yes. Yes, but to live again, we must first die to ourselves. The old man has to be buried if we are to live again. Speaking with Lazarus' sister uh, Martha, Jesus said, "'I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying.'" If you want to live, if you want to to have life, you need Jesus. If you want to have Jesus, you must first die to yourself. Next week when we get back together, we'll unpack precisely what it looks like to die well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, help us to be cognizant of how we live. Help us to recognize sinful desires that have maybe been allowed to linger and lurk for too long. Father, give us the resolve to to put an end to that that way of living and see that it's really not going to bring us life at all. Father, help us to cling to Jesus. And for those who might be watching this message this morning, if they've never made a decision to actually follow you, Father, I pray that you will speak to their hearts, that you will give them the courage of their convictions, that they might respond in a way that they have life and have it to the fullest measure. We love you and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.